EFTM Tech Cars Lifestyle This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long EFTM G'day, g'day, welcome, thanks for joining me here on the EFTM Podcast once again uh, Always fun to be here talking technology, talking cars, whatever it might be uh, We will talk cars today, I want to talk electric vehicles uh, and dig into the uh, New South Wales government plans um, and of course, we will we'll take your calls. We've got a couple of people to chat to about everything from Wi-Fi mesh, as we often do, to an interesting uh, question about alternatives to a Surface Pro. So I want to dig into that one. Um, I also want to talk about screen time for kids, something that's been coming up a bit in conversation uh, based on some of the news reporting going around uh, and, and whatnot. Uh, and we're going to talk about electric scooters, baby. Electric scooters. We're going to talk to the Elon Musk of electric scooters. That's all I'm going to say. You have to hang on and wait and see. Uh, all that to come right here on the EFTM podcast. You can um, leave a rating and a review if you wouldn't mind on the iTunes store if you're listening via the podcast app. Uh, if not, just download the podcast app and leave a rating and review. It's the only place where that really happens. It's funny that there's been no other kind of spin-off style podcast rating system created independently. Um, it's really the only one to look at. <laughs> So um, that's where you've got to go. If you're listening on Pocket Cast or Overcast or Spotify, there's not really much you can do um, in terms of giving your feedback. Um, so feel free to do that. Feel free to just jump onto iTunes or the podcast app and uh, and leave one. Uh, thank you to Dig Fishing. He said, uh, great podcast show. Love the format. I'm even allowed to keep it on when I'm in the car with my 10-year-old. Very entertaining. And I find myself wanting more. Very nice of you. Very good. Uh, so, leave a rating, leave a review, send me an email, go to the website, eftm.com. Taking your calls, if you've got a tech question, go to the website, eftm.com. Cliff's on the line. G'day, mate. G'day, Trev. How you going? Good, buddy. You're in the car. Where are you off to? Work? Uh, off to work, yeah. My floor meeting. Oh, bloody meetings. The, you, you don't get to Zoom those things? I just... Just, no, just not this one, unfortunately. Zoom everything, please. <laughs> what can I do for you, buddy? Look, I'm looking to upgrade my current Surface Pro, yep. but uh, I just want to know what uh, alternatives that there are out there in the marketplace. When you say alternatives, are you looking for another Surface or something completely different? No, no, I'm looking for something like a Surface. Uh, my concern is just the, uh, the memory capacity yeah. on them uh, and just seeing you know, what's out there because it's like, they are starting to get a bit, uh, a bit exy as well. What What's your budget? Uh, probably fifteen hundred to two k. And when you say memory's a problem, you mean storage? Yeah, storage. How much storage do you need? Do you think? Uh, certainly more than two fifty six. Right. And what sort of files are you, are you storing? Look, mainly uh, my sort of client files. Basically, it's um, just my storage system as well for my client files yep. and. Uh, all that sort of stuff. So, um, but I'm mainly using Windows products and you know, yep, yep. Office 365. So, Look, yeah. if you're deep in the Office 365 and Windows ecosystem, then, mate, honestly, stick with the Surface because nothing else will come close. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing how Microsoft is setting the benchmark for what a Windows computer should be. But here's the thing, and I don't know if you've tried this, but I reviewed, and this is not a Surface tablet, this was the laptop, um, it was like a, Back to school laptop, Surface Laptop Go, I think they called it, and it was nine ninety nine, and but it only had sixty four gig of memory, and I thought, well, that's no good. But then I thought about it. I thought, 
for a kid, I've just got to teach them to use external storage. And then over time, I realized that's just the ultimate way to go. And honestly, listening to you, imagine you have, have you got a computer at home as well, or do you rely entirely on the surface? I entirely on the surface. So um, if you were to invest, and when I say invest, it's because I'm going to make you spend money. But if you were to invest in a basic surface, so it doesn't have much storage at all, let's say i5 processor, 128 gig, 1200 bucks, right? A Surface Pro 7, good quality, that's awesome, right? But then you were to invest in a very good quality external hard drive. So I've got a bunch of the little Samsung T5 kind of, they're, they're tiny, they're super lightweight, they're USB-C. So it's like having more internal storage. It's it's literally as fast as, in terms of saving, it's hyper portable because then if you're at someone else's computer, you can just plug in and you've got your files. And also, it it's not reliant on the on the device. Your device fails, you've lost everything potentially. So it acts as a kind of safe backup as well. And because if you start looking for a product that has like 512 gig of memory on a, on a surface, you know you're looking at 2,400 bucks, right? Um, yeah. And that's on sale right now. They're normally three grand. So now's the time to buy. If you look at the prices at JB Hi-Fi right now, holy crap, there's some good deals. A $2,500 i7 with 256 is down to $1,800. But that's a very good price for 256 gig of memory on that. But then, yeah. you know, go down a step and spend twelve or 1300 or something like that. And look at a Samsung T5 portable hard drive with one terabyte of storage, and you're looking at 179 bucks. And you got another. Well, I'm doing that now. That's, I've got a 500 gig external storage now that I'm using. Is it SSD? So, yes, it is. And so, why, why does storage then worry you? Because you've got that super portable storage. Well, I'm, I suppose I'm using that as a backup, but still keeping everything on my Surface Pro. And run it off. So all you use the Surface Pro for is application memory. So when you're installing applications and everything on the SSD is your life. It's, you know, it's where your files are. And mate, if you want to truly be a backup redundant and that kind of thing, then get two hard drives and rotate them week to week so that you're constantly just, you spend your Friday night or your Saturday night watching the footy or something. There you go. Boom. It's just going to transfer over all the files from this week and they're going to, it's going to sync up and, you know, you run, and the thing is about the Samsung ones, he's got a blue one and a red one, so you got on weeks and off weeks, and you could put it on your diary, blue week and red week, you know, so that you, you know, which yeah. is which. But then you've got that redundancy, and you keep one with you, and one at the mother-in-law's house or something, so that there's true, you know, house burns down, both hard drives are not in there, that kind of thing. Um, but honestly, mate, you do not with with USB C, uh, and a, and a good quality hard drive like you like I'm talking about with the Samsung ones, you do not need on on device storage. For for files and photos and that kind of stuff. If you're editing videos, then there's a there's a a thing to be said about it. But it still can be done off the hard drive. No, mate, great idea. Thanks. All right, mate. good luck, buddy. Happy shopping, and now's the time to buy, mate. Those sales look really good. Well, I think I'll save the money and um, go and buy a, another external hard drive. Yeah, keep the computer, clean it up, buy another hard drive, and yeah, just invest in it. Don't get don't get a cheap one. Get a good one because they do vary in speeds. All right. Good luck, mate. Thanks, Trev. Cheers. No worries. Thank you, Cliff. And if you've got a question like Cliff, just go to the website, eftm.com. And, you know, it's a problem-solving thing, right? I've just saved Cliff 1500 bucks because instead of spending 1800 or two grand, he's going to spend 
three or 400 on an external hard drive. And those little hard drives, I'm lucky I get to review these things until I've got them kind of lying around. But the Samsung T5 Portable um, is 179 bucks for a terabyte. T7 is going to be faster, and a terabyte there is going to cost you more. It's going to cost you 299 299 That's crazy good value. Um, two terabyte portable storage, 600 bucks. Like that, that's that's unbelievable when you look at what storage used to cost. So, yeah, a very valuable way of specking down your computer and up your portability. Anyway, let me know what you think. Anytime. Happy to hear from you. Now, it's Tuesday afternoon as I record. The New South Wales state budget will be handed down in 10 minutes from now. And part of that is a strategy on electric vehicles, which is costing millions of dollars. Um, I don't really care how much it is, um, but it's hundreds of millions of dollars. I think it's about a $500 million package is the way they describe it. But here's what's interesting about it. And I talked about this with um, different people on the show about the electric vehicle kind of policy and strategy around the country. Um, And one of the conversations has been about my big bugbear, going back to the last federal election where Bill Shorten wanted every car or 50% of cars to be electric by 2030, it was just an outlandish potential. Like it didn't, I didn't know how we were going to get to that. And also my biggest concern is the government coffers would be left bare because of the lack of fuel excise. When you fill up with petrol, you pay $1.45 and a huge amount of that is tax. And that tax goes towards government. Now, I'm not saying it goes towards road maintenance. Forget that. It just goes to the government. And that's what matters. And if the government loses billions of dollars a year, how are they going to make that up? They're going to cut the services or something else is going to go up. So we need a tipping point change. And I've argued that the the industry struggles to actually propose anything, but it appears the industry supports what New South Wales is planning. Now, before we go into that, Victoria, remember, got absolutely hit from pillar to post because they introduced a road usage tax as of this, I think, in a couple of weeks, and they at the same time incentivised the buying of an electric car with a rebate. What New South Wales has done is go a few steps further, and I actually want to go through this in a bit of detail here because I think it, it lays the plan for other states because every car company is saying this is globally forward-thinking. So it's actually a five-point plan. Got to love a government five-point plan. The first one is helping people buy an electric vehicle. Um, So the concept of helping us buy an electric vehicle is important. So here's how they've done this. They are removing stamp duty for cars under $78,000, electric cars under $78,000. And that that also applies to plug-in hybrids. So if you buy a plug-in hybrid, under 78000 no stamp duty. Now, that's uh, $3 in every 100 up to 45000 and $5 in every 100 over 45000 So it's thousands of bucks. A rebate is being made available to the first 25,000 people who buy an electric car from September odd, um, and it could be up to $3,000. Um, fleet incentives, there's, there's a public charging network I'll talk about. Um, there's priority driving, there's a whole range of things, but by helping you to buy, what they're doing is that rebate of 3000 bucks for 25,000 people if you buy an electric car under $68,000. So that's not the new Mercedes EQA, that will be the base model Tesla Model 3 and the Hyundai Ioniq, Hyundai 5 or whatever they're calling it, um, an MG, 
the new BYDs that'll come out. So there's some good incentives there. And there's also incentives for councils and, and businesses to switch to electric as well. The second point in the plan is to build a world-class electric vehicle network. Now, the detail of this is actually quite interesting. Um, 30% of drivers are unable to access private off-street parking. So the government will run a, a funding process to co-fund the development of charging infrastructure for EVs. So household in areas with limited off-street parking will live no more than five kilometres from an ultra-fast charger. That's that's pretty good. The other part of it is ensuring that there are charges at 100 kilometre intervals across all major highways in New South Wales. 100 kilometre intervals is perfect because it means you're not relying on the same spots every time for everyone, which will reduce congestion at the charges as well. It's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's thinking. Making it easy to drive an electric vehicle is the third point of action. In addition to improving um, the public charging infrastructure, EV drivers for a limited time, so it's not going to be forever, but let's call it five years, will be able to use the T2 and T3 transit lane. So in peak hour, you'll get to work quicker. So that's good. And the New South Wales government will work with councils to make sure car park designations uh, are fit for purpose so that there is electric charging and it's enforced. The fourth part of this plan is a bit less about us, the EV drivers potentially, and more about the government generally. Talking about you know, promoting investment in mining, essentially, for the minerals that are used for batteries. Because we've got them all, so do it. Putting money into EV-ready regional destinations, ensuring that there's destination charges, EV tourist drives, all that kind of stuff. And then they, they get to the road usage charge. The fifth part of the plan is that from uh, June the 1st of July 2027, or when EVs, EVs make up 30% of new car sales, which won't be by then, um, there will be a road usage charge. 2.5 cents per kilometre for EVs, 2 cents per kilometre for hybrids, plug-in hybrids. It's good. Like, it's it's a good plan. I don't know how anyone bags that plan other than Greenies not wanting mining, but we've got to pay for it too. So the mining taxes and resources will pay for this and we'll actually have a net positive in the long run as well as going net zero on emissions or whatever you want to talk about. This is all a part of the plan by the Transport Minister, Andrew Constance, and my local member, the Minister for the Energy and the Environment, Matt Keane. Now, i got to say, I'm, I'm a big fan. I was ready to buy an electric car when they get cheaper. Now they're even cheaper. I'm all in. So I'm waiting for the BYD. It'll be the cheapest electric car. I'm not here for showboat. That'll just be a simple everyday car, but it'll be electric. And here's the thing. I mean, I I haven't published this, but it wouldn't be hard to find, I'm assuming, the New South Wales electric vehicle strategy. But, I mean, the, the I love the research that goes into because they have to do research, right? Um, the number, the work that's got, in fact, I'll write an article about this. I'll try and break this down, um, about the number of vehicles being introduced by every car company. So Toyota this year will have one new EV. By 2025, 15 new EVs. Volkswagen reckon they'll have 75 new EVs by 2025. Um, That's that's staggering. 100% of all uh, Volvo sales will be electric by 2030. 70% for others. It's really good. 
these are good numbers. It doesn't, unfortunately, the numbers don't match for every manufacturer. They haven't broken it all down so they match. But according to this, Ford will be 100% electric by 2026 with 40 new EVs by 2022. I find that hard to believe. But it may be that that's only in other markets. But uh, Ford, yeah, Ford, European market only for the 100% EV target. Like, it's, it's impressive. These targets set by manufacturers are impressive, and that's why we have to go electric. Yeah? We don't have the choice. But the thing, and I think this is what I hear from the car companies, because I asked um, Nissan's boss, why do you want government incentives? Dude, just reduce the price of cars. And he said, it, we need the government to set a path. We need the government to set a target so that we're not seen as this outlier because in the end, we just get all the fuel-burning cars. They just they keep making them because they're cheaper to make. There's higher profit margins and they sell them here. The government needs to set the targets or we will be left with the dirty vehicles. Uh, I'm, I'm all for it. And I think that unfortunately, the federal government is risk-averse. But this policy at a federal level could be a game changer. So well done to the New South Wales government. It's hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's a good investment. And I look forward to owning a VEV very soon. I really do. Let me know what you think. Uh, if you've had time to digest it, always good to hear from you, whether it's in the Man Cave on Facebook. Just search for the EFTM Man Cave on Facebook or hit me up on the website, EFTM.com. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Wherever you are, you can uh, listen anytime and you can get in touch anytime. Go to the website, EFTM.com. Bashir did that. G'day, mate. Hey, Trevor. How are you going? Hey, real good. What can I do for you? Mate, uh, I'm, uh, I've got an FTTN um, NBN connection, yep. which isn't the best. It's, uh, it's a 50 kind of uh, download maximum speed, So, and that's the maximum because of my distance from the yep. node. And So, so um, when, when you're on a 50 plan, what are you getting? When you when you do a speed um, test at the modem, yeah, at forty and and getting up to about fifteen uploads, so it's not um, you know the best, but it's still better than small uh, reality check. What did you have before yeah. the MBN? Um, well, previous to this, I had the MBN, but I had the wireless. Um, it's kind of it was actually a little bit better than the node, and then before that was just ADSL. So, yeah. and, um, tipping the ADSL wasn't great. <laughs> No, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. Well, so we'll take the um, positive and we'll hope for. Uh, hope you're on the list for the fibre upgrade, mate. What um, What do you want to do with the uh, the connection at the moment? So at the moment, um, I've got a. Uh, I'm with Aussie Broadband, which is great. Um, but I've just got a an older modem, and I've got an Ethernet cable which runs under the house to the other side of the house with an Apple uh, Extreme airport. Um, yeah. airport yeah, um, but at the moment. They don't talk. The uh, the wireless networks don't talk. Um, I get dropouts. I might go down to the other end of the house and only have one bar because it's somehow still trying to jump onto um, the other uh, wireless network. And then I've also got a granny flat, which I can't run um, a cable to, um, which I want to try and grab uh, some wireless networking from uh, from there as well. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the the span from one end to the, one end of the house to the other is about twenty meters. So, um, 
So, yeah, so at the end of it, I was just looking to see what would be a good modem because I've only got an old uh, Telstra modem at the moment that mm. I'm, I'm using for the connection, yeah. but one that would have um, a mesh capability that supports, you know, uh, VDSL and then also to be able to um, install some um, satellite receivers to then have all one big mesh network. So the first thing I'd say is because you're on fibre to the node, I'd, yep. hang, I'd hang on to the modem you've got. Right? Okay. So because the modem's not failing, it's just uh, the, it's just the broad network in your home that you're trying to uh, improve. The connection to the internet is actually fine, um, and it's reliable, right? So what you do is disable all Wi-Fi on the existing modem, and you build off that a routed network. Okay. Okay. So you keep the yep. modem you've got. Your internet connection stays the same. When Aussie Broadband have a problem, you ring them and they, and you haven't changed anything. They can't get angry at you. They can't blame you. Right? I, I always love the fact that you want to simplify the, the the tech support call. And and as much as I love Aussie Broadband, any tech support, not because they're trying to shun the blame, but they're just because they're troubleshooting, is always going to check what you've got at home and wonder whether it's something you did first. So yep. keep your modem and it stays connected to the, to the, to the network there. Disable Wi-Fi on it and then in the back... There's, you know, four ports for uh, eth- for Ethernet. Disconnect anything that's there and plug only one thing in, and that's your new router. Now, okay. in terms of the kind of things you want to do, I know you said to me in your original email, like you want to muck around with, you know, all the kind of things like parental controls and quality of service and all that kind of stuff. That, look, there's not a lot of routers that do it all, but yep. I-, I would argue that of the Netgear range, for example, you've got two streams. There's the Orbi and there's the Nighthawk. The Orbi is very much plug and play with those. You can still do port forwarding and all that, and there is that parental and uh, networking stuff you can kind of add on. But the Nighthawk range feels like more than what you would want because it does quality of service to particular um, devices and stuff like that. So what I would, I can't speak to, but I wouldn't mind you investigating is if you were to get a cracking good Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router, because you're going to invest here, you may as well do it properly, they're yep. like, 350 400 bucks right okay and, and by the way i'm pretty sure right now and the link is easy to find because it's at eftm there's a banner that says end of financial year sales for for netgear just check there's not like 20 bucks off or more um so imagine you got a, a solid router wi-fi 6 router from netgear beautiful black thing you know, with the antennas do your best that's going to give you good wi-fi but it's probably not going to give you the full coverage you want but because you're buying a modern router and this is what I need you to research. Can okay. you then buy one of their mesh extenders or, or extenders um, because their modern network extenders don't create the extra network. They just extend in a mesh capacity. Um, okay. The problem is budget-wise, you said to me, I think, up to 800 bucks. Yeah. You know, mesh isn't cheap. Yeah, no, it isn't. <laughs> a, a, the Nighthawk three-pack mesh system that – um, how he reviewed for me is five hundred forty nine bucks, and mate, honestly, it might do absolutely everything you need. And it's a three pack system, so one of them sits at the at the modem, the next one sits you know somewhere in the house, and the other one sits either on another level or further down. It may be absolutely perfect, and because it's Nighthawk, you'll get those back end compatibility stuff. And because it's mesh, you can add to it. You can buy another single one, or you can buy multiple ones. So I'm torn between saying get an all-in router from Nighthawk and then try and extend it or just get the Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 mesh system. 
And I, I think that that's going to dramatically change your network regardless. So it's probably the, the right way to go at 549 bucks. It sits perfectly in your budget. And if, if you need more, then save a bit and you might spend a, might only be a couple hundred more for, for a single extra satellite. Okay. So, yeah, because I, you know, I was thinking, you know, if there was a, a modem router that could be, you know, um, I guess the main one and then have the satellites running off it, you know. Or and I hear you. I totally hear that, you. But yeah. as soon as you say VDSL, you start to rule, yeah, out, that's a, rule out a lot of products. <laughs> like a Nighthawk yeah. or an Orbi or a VLOP or an Eero from Amazon, all these products, you can at my place, I can plug them directly into the NBN box because yeah. I don't need a modem. But you need yeah, a modem. I wish. As I understand <laughs> yeah. it, with fibre to the node, you still need the modem. But yeah, mate, unfortunately. Don't worry about yeah. that. You, your modem's fine. Re- re- okay. Remember that. Your modem is fine. But the router, as in the Wi-Fi network and what you do with your network within the home, is what you're in trying to improve. So you yeah. buy a system, and here's the great thing. I don't know what your situation is, whether you're ever going to move or anything, but that system is completely detached from the modem. And so you you could go to another home and, and plug it into any other modem, and it will just create your network again. So you, you okay. can move house, and yeah. it's kind of a simple thing. There's no reconnecting and all that. I know it's weird to say hold on yeah. to a crappy old modem, but the modem's fine. And you're running, yeah. you're running 40 meg internet. It's not like there's a capacity issue. It's not like the modem's holding you back. The modem, no. the router yeah. part. So what you own today, and this is a kind of an expl- explainer for everyone else, what you own today is a modem router. What the thing That's the inter- internet provider gives you is a modem router. Keep using the modem, stop using the router, and buy yourself a better router and in your case, we're saying buy a mesh router system. I'm saying the Nighthawk, and you start to tick those boxes. Okay. All right. Yeah, because I read that review on um, on that uh, the mesh system. So um, honestly, yeah. I think the the Nighthawk would be a cracker because it's perfect budget. You won't be kicking your. If you spend thirteen hundred, you're going to expect craziness from it. I think the 549 is going to give you what you need. It's prob- I don't think it's a tri-band system, so you're not going to get the backhaul um, improvements you get from a tri-band, but you're paying a lot more for tri-band. You may not need that right now. So I think it's going to answer all your questions. And for a 50-meg internet connection, I don't think you're ever going to notice the things that you're sacrificing by buying that one instead of a all-in, everyone's happy, you know, $1,500 router system. Yep. No, awesome. Okay. Right, well, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll go down that path. and uh, Check the link on EFGM for the Netgear sales um, because, as I understand it, they only started on the weekend. It's kind of end of financial year. Uh, it's store.netgear.com.au forward slash sales. So, yeah, it's probably easier just to go to uh, go to EFGM and click the link. Um, I'm just on it right now looking to see whether I can spot. Here it is. Oh, mate, 449 for the <laughs> Wi-Fi 6 Nighthawk mesh system. Three three bucks. Four four nine. That's a hundred bucks off. Perfect. Get into it. <laughs> we'll get into it before the end right. of financial year. Exactly. Awesome. Thanks so much, Trevor. All right, mate. Stay well. Happy shopping. You too. Cheers, mate. Bye bye. Good on you. And uh yeah, that's um a Nick your sponsor, obviously. And if you go to the website eftm.com you will see the uh the link. Uh, is on every page, I think, just kind of second or third paragraph down is every single page. You'll see the link to uh, the Netgear end of financial year sales. Uh, Enjoy. Now, I do a lot of radio, and I also get a lot of 
questions and comments about screen time for kids. Now, there's this cracking crazy story in the Daily Telegraph and other News Corp publications about a kid in South Australia. There's a guy called Dave Redlick, who's a semi-retired teacher with 34 years' experience. Um, And he says he's been tutoring kids. And he says, this is a quote, the worst case was being employed to tutor an 18-year-old boy, get this, who had refused to go to school for the previous six years. His mother was a single parent with other children in the family. She was unable to control her son because he was bigger than her and threatened violence if she stopped him gaming. I mean, what? Now, individual circumstances, difficult to comment on, difficult to really assess. But how has the state government and the education department not sent the Department of Community Services to that house and done something about that kid? Because if I didn't send my kid to school for six months, let alone six days, someone would be knocking on my door. So I'm going to leave aside that story because I just don't know that there's not a lot more information we need about it. But there's this, basically this tutor's talking about how Roblox and Fortnite pushes kids into addiction and potentially violence. Now I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'm a stickler for the ratings of games. My son turns 15 in December. He can't wait to play games that I've not let him play. But I know his mates are playing because his mates don't have as stricter rules as me. Now, I'm not judging those parents. I, unfortunately, for him, <laughs> I appear on television talking about rules. So I can't be seen to be someone who goes, oh, yeah, you should have clear rules and then just let him run amok. And I do believe that your brain needs to get ready for this stuff. So... My 15-year-old will get to play Far Cry and Grand Theft Auto or whatever the heck is allowed under the rating system. And I don't think it'll affect him because he's a good kid. He doesn't have violent tendencies. And if he does, we'll jump on him. I mean, I'll, I'll work on that. I don't know. I played a lot of games as a kid. I still play games. My favorite game is Far Cry 5. Can't wait for the sixth edition to come out later in the year. My favorite thing to do is carry a sniper rifle around, sit on a hill and great distance shoot deer antelope buffalo or members of the cult that infest the island area of which we are playing the game in the head yep that's what i do uh, you know it's called a headshot it's a it's a hard thing to do with a sniper rifle from uh, you know hundreds of meters away but i enjoy it <laughs> but i have no desire to do that in the real world to anything let alone humans I've played Grand Theft Auto. I've played Call of Duty. None of it makes me violent. If you lock yourself in a room and play these things for days and days upon end, it's going to impact your mental well-being. It may or may not turn your state of mind into a into a criminal. I don't know. But honestly, it just got me really ranty this morning. If you heard me, hear me on Triple M with Luke Boner, it got me really ranty because it's just like such an attack on on technology when the problem is parents. Like, we had bad movies when I was a kid. We had bad TV shows when I was a kid, but I wasn't able to watch them. Bad content should be restricted. Parents should stop their kids doing things. I'm sorry, but most of the problems that, that are talked about as being screen time problems are actually just parental problems. Get your kid in line. Set some rules. And when they break them, punish them. Great thing these days. You don't need to hit your kids. You don't need a strap. You just need to turn the Wi-Fi off or take their device from them. It's worse than getting the strap. 
I mean, I feel like an old man ranting these days about this stuff, but it's frustrating as a parent and a, and a technology lover to have screen time kind of blamed as this thing. If you as a parent have Apple devices in your house and your kids don't have the screen time feature turned on to restrict their usage, you're mad. You're mad. My kid, I was sitting watching, I was exhausted yesterday, got up at three o'clock, had a long day, got home in the afternoon, got the kids in, we had afternoon tea. I sat on the lounge and I napped. And every now and then I opened my eyes, see what the kids were doing. And they were on their iPads. And I remember being awake as Harry's iPad time ran out and he just simply shut the lid of the iPad and put it away. Didn't whinge, didn't complain, didn't ask for more time. It was a weekday. No chance I'm giving you more time today, buddy. You just got to have rules. Is it that, am I wrong? Is it not that simple? I don't know. It's just frustrating to think that people don't try to use the technology that exists. Now, if it's not a technology like Screen Time, the app, then get a thing like the Trend Micro Home Network Security. Put it on your network and restrict things. Restrict adult content. Um, restrict YouTube. Stop kids from being able to use it at certain times. It's like turning off the Wi-Fi but um, using a, an app. It's all there. There's There are things that will do it for you, folks. you just got to learn what they are. It's not easy. And you know the other one? And I actually did read this. At the, at the end of this article at The Telegraph, there was some really good advice. Credit to the team that wrote it. Ten steps for a healthy gameplay. And it talks about screen time, um, keeping stuff out of the bedroom, aim for physical activity. But number ten, be actively involved in your child's gameplay. I think that is so important. I watch what my kids are doing. Sometimes I jump in and play. I always know what game they're playing. I always know which YouTuber they're watching. And if I don't recognize the voice, I walk in and I watch it. If I don't like it, I, I ban it. you just got to be involved. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it. Maybe I'm just really lucky with my kids. Maybe I've got it coming for me in the years ahead. I don't know. But, but I'll tell you what now, I won't, I won't be blaming the games or the screens. I'll be blaming myself. And I'll be seeking whatever help I can get if it required. Anyway, let me know what you think. The website, EFTM.com. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Now, if you've been following for a while, you'll know I've reviewed a bunch of scooters of late. Electric scooters. Uh, back in my day as a kid, you had to pedal push these things. You had to push with your foot and off they went. But these days, it's a flick of a thumb and you're scooting away. My kids love them. Uh, and I don't mind them for getting around either. But... There are some issues with regards to legalities in some states, but let's leave that aside for a moment and ask ourselves why a bloke who has a strong history in music is now involved in scooters. Uh, the latest scooter I've reviewed is from Unagi, U-N-A-G-I, and uh, geez, it looks good, and it goes like the clappers. Uh, unbelievable scooter, i got to tell you. Uh, it has all the hallmarks of a Tesla, but in a scooter. And the founder and CEO of that very company, Unagi, is David Hyman. And he's on the line. G'day, David. Hello, how are you? Yeah, really good. Uh, I've got to ask, we've got to go back here. We've got to go back. Um, yeah. you, you, you go from, as if your Wikipedia page is to be believed, you go from advertising sales at Wired Magazine um, through to music with things like Grace Note, which, you know, back in the day was the way that CDs determined which artist and album matched which artwork. Uh, and that's going back in time for me, and then into music streaming. How, how, 
is that your history? Because that's a, a solid history on its own in terms of a, a legacy to leave. Yeah, man. I mean, I built a handful of music software companies over a 25 year run. Um, almost all of them, all of them were music oriented. I built the main competitor to Spotify in America, which was called Mog. Uh, today it's Apple Music. I was going to say, don't don't just play that down as being an amazing thing of its time. That here was Telstra uh, and Mog were. I know, and I was coming out to Sydney. I, I you know, I did that deal, and uh, <laughs> but, you know, that was fun. That was a fun time. Uh, yeah, Grace Note was an awesome company. Basically, it was core technology that made MP3 encoding work. You couldn't rip a CD without having Gracenote in your MP3 encoder. And we were built into iTunes and every MP3 player. And, you know, I have a, uh, an imagination and passion and I just follow it. And so it led me to hardware this time around. Does it baffle you that you, um, with Mog and then into Beats uh, through an acquisition and then through another acquisition, that thing that you worked on is now the behemoth that is Apple Music? It's awesome. I mean, I'm very proud. I'm proud uh, that, you know, I was a big believer in streaming very early on. I've always been a technologist at heart. And sometimes my vision for the future is too far ahead Mm. and I'll launch something that doesn't work. And sometimes, you know, my timing is really good. That's the life of an entrepreneur, right? Um, timing's yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Timing's everything. Timing and geography. How does geography uh, play into it? You know, the U.S. is a powerful place. Um, it's pretty hard to go wrong in the U.S. Uh, you know, looking back at Mog, uh, you know, I successfully had it become Apple Music, but we lost the war to Spotify, and that was really because of geography. Mm. The record labels wouldn't let us have a free tier of service in the United States, but they were letting it happen in Europe. Right. So Spotify had a free version that we weren't allowed to have. And still does. Yeah, and that free version, uh, you know, when you combine the words free with music, you know, it's it's the ultimate uh, drug for hum- humankind. <laughs> why, why do you think that is? Uh, because it's, it's fascinating to me because the radio story. industry is free. Um, that they pay a percentage of their ad revenue to the record labels, and that's how it works. It could surely that model just works with streaming. Man, it's a long story, and, and I'm here to talk about scooters today, my friend. <laughs> so let's. Oh. How the hell do you go from being a guy that's working in software, working in music, to being yeah. a guy who creates a scooter company? That that baffles the mind more than anything. Yeah. Well, I've always been a hardware fanatic. Um, mostly in the audio realm, you know, I'll put myself in the, in the upper echelons of audio hardware expertise Mm. in in America. I'm a, you know, I'm a serious pro on the audio front. And so, uh, and at Gracenote, we were providing our technology to tons of hardware companies. I had offices in Japan and Hong Kong and Germany. They were an incredible number of hardware companies implementing our technology. Mm. And so I've, I've got a lot of hardware in my DNA and I just became obsessed with electric scooters personally. Um, and, and I saw a hole in the market. 
you know, there were a bunch of companies doing the rental model yep. where they'd lay them out, lay them on the street yep. and, and you pull up to one with a QR code and you release them and you rent them for a few miles or a half hour or whatever you need. And that then was, you drop that it. was my first interaction with them was the Lime scooter at uh, Apple's yeah. WWDC in 2018. And we thought it was okay. fascinating that you could just jump on yeah. this thing and scoot around yeah. town. And it was like, wow. But they were totally. just littered yeah. around the streets. So I mean, I mean yeah, aside ha- from the aesthetic blight, yeah. it was really, you know, I had this like come to Jesus moment riding um, a scooter to Whole Foods, our, our Amazon owned uh, chain out here in the United States. And, uh, you know, I hate parking in supermarket parking lots. So I rode a scooter to Whole Foods one weekend. I came out with my groceries and my rental scooter, my Lime scooter was gone because that's how it works. And, you know, I just bought a $7 pint of ice cream. It was 75 degrees. You might use Celsius in Australia. Maybe that's like 23 or something. Yeah. And I'm like, crap, my scooter's gone. Uh, I got ice cream melting. You know, what am I going to do? And I was like, I could call an Uber. Now my $7 Oh, a ridiculously expensive pint will become uh, a $20 pint if I call an Uber. And uh, I went to look for another Lime scooter. Uh, I saw one on, a, on on the app that said it was about a quarter mile away. I went to approach it. And as I got there, someone beat me to the punch. And uh, I walked home with melted ice cream. And I was and very selfishly, I was like, why don't I just buy one of these things? Why am I, yeah. why am I messing around? Half the time I go to a Lime scooter, it's broken or the battery's dead. Uh, and I'm hunting and pecking and looking for one. And I just wanted one. Like I felt like it was anomaly. David, that this that's great. But you can just buy one. Why did you have to create a company? Well, I started to look for one to buy for myself. Yeah. And every night I would go on Alibaba with Google Translate and try to find this magical combination of something extremely light and portable with the torque to get up the hills in San Francisco, you know, my hometown here. And uh, there was one that kind of checked the boxes more than the other ones and came to me a month later from China with no warranty, no service. Right out of the box, it was kind of janky and broken, but it worked. And everywhere I went with this scooter, people were coming up to me. Where'd you get that? Where'd you yeah. get that? I'd be on, yeah. on our, on, on my subway system here. Um, and, and one of the things I love about a portable lightweight scooter that folds is this multimodal concept where, you know, you take it from your house to the subway, then you're on the subway with it, you know, or you're on the bus with it. Mm. And, and then you pop out on the other side and you're, you know, you feel like a superhuman. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, this light bulb went over my head. I'm like, you know, all these ride sharing companies are, are trying to be, you know, billion dollar unicorns. I felt like that was already saturated. There were too many companies vying to the rental market. I'm like, nobody is really focused on building a luxury high end scooter that's ultra lightweight and portable. That's just like the Swiss army knife, perfect vehicle for urban transportation. Mm. There were companies selling scooters uh, from China uh, in the United States, but they were kind of commodity 
low-priced, low-quality scooters that had short shelf life, no real pride of ownership, nothing that was built to last. Um, and I, I just thought, man, I'm going to do this. So when I look at the scooter market as it's now evolved, um, because it has yeah. evolved super quick in, in just yeah. just in a couple of years, and certainly in Australia, it's really only been the last year. Uh, the you know you've got some big brands in there, Seg, Segway, Nibot. You know their 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 mobility credentials are huge, um, and they make amazing products. So this is what's fascinating to me is when I unboxed the Unagi, I immediately went, oh wow. So so the, this is a different looking product, which is why I'm I'm interested that you mentioned the luxury market because it does look different. It looks sleek. Um, there's something about it in that sense, other than just being a scooter, it's a scooter with design, but mate, then you get on it and you also mentioned talk in the San Francisco Hills. Holy geez. Um, this thing goes like the instant acceleration. It's like the Tesla for cars in that the dual motor really just gives you that I'm off. Yeah. I mean, it's a combination of that and the fact that the scooter is made out of carbon fiber and magnesium. So you've got a lot of power tied to a very lightweight design. Um, you know, I'm 215 pounds. I don't know what I am in kilos, but, um, I'm, I'm tall. I'm like six foot three and a half. Mm. I'm not, uh, overweight, (laughs) but you know, I have this huge hill by my house and I wasn't going to put something in the market that wasn't going to get me to my house. Cause you want to so, get up hills. You want to, you want to be uh, multimodal so that you can carry uh, it. Cause I, let me put it this way. I am big. Uh, and the first, <laughs> the first scooter I rode won't get up the hill that's near my office. Right. So that was an instant learning for me that a, I needed to lose weight and B uh, there needed to be a bit better scooter. And uh, that I had to go up a level of the of the scooter market, and I did. I found one that worked, but it's a beast. It's a giant. It's yeah. not something I would carry more than from the house to the car, and that defeats yeah. the purpose, right? Whereas yours, because of the torque um, and because of that that lightweight, uh, my weight is still fine for it to to get up that hill. It's it's a staggering piece of kind of design and engineering. But then the other part of it is for me the wheels or tires or however you want to describe it, because a lot of scooters promote themselves as having you know. Um, inflatable tires, you know, that you can you can um, reinflate and, and do. But these are uh, a comp. Uh, I don't even how to know how to describe it. They're they're a hybrid uh, of a, a fixed fat tire and uh, and a hard hard wheel. It's it's a pretty cool bit of technology just in the wheel. Yeah. I mean, you know, air pneumatic tires are more comfortable than our tire. Our tire is puncture proof. There is no uh, air pneumatic in the tire. Mm. The problem with the air pneumatic tires on all of our competitive scooters is once it punctures, no one will fix that tire for you because it's not a standardized part. If you bring your scooter to a bike shop, they're not going to fix it. And if you buy it from a big box retailer, um, they're not fixing it either. They're just not capable. I mean, go on Reddit and read the hundreds of forum posts of people who buy our competitive scooters with an air pneumatic tire, puncture the tire. You know, people are trying to fix it themselves by putting the inner tube in microwave ovens to soften the rubber. It's a nightmare. And so, you know, we, we, we chose something that was for the long term at the expense of a little bit of uh, the comfort of an air pneumatic. It's just the better way to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So we're obsessed across the board. Our one-click folding mechanism. Yes. You know, our high-quality automotive paint finishes. Whenever there's a piece of technology that's a part, tied to a human being, whether it's your headphones or a bicycle or a car, you have to win on not just the technical performance, but you have to win on the aesthetics and the ergonomics and design. These are reflections of who we are. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. man's wheels has been a, 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 a huge reflection of their personality and what they say about themselves to the world. If they weren't, uh, cars wouldn't come in color options and, and styles. That's yeah. the whole point of being able to say, you know what, I love the look of the blue one. I mean, red one that, that I've got goes faster, so that's good, right? I mean, it's it's that whole thing uh, lives on yeah. through the scooter. But then I think, you know, the biggest challenge that you have, and you know it, is that you're a luxury scooter brand, and therefore your price point is is different to every other one in the market. So here in Australia, it's a sixteen ninety nine uh, scooter. Um, at JB Hi-Fi, which is our Best Buy, it's our big box. You know, it's a it's oh, a massive retailer I to be them in. Well, they're they're a huge partner of ours. Uh, you know, that's a big win for any company to be in JB Hi-Fi. I've spoken to companies over the last decade who would love to be in JB Hi-Fi. So it's a huge win for you. How you, let's say we're, we've got people who are thinking, I want a scooter. They're going to go in. They're going to see scooters at nine hundred. They're going to see scooters at eleven hundred. Yeah. They're going to see scoot your yeah. scooter at sixteen ninety nine. How do you sell it to them? Yeah. Well, our scooter. I don't remember the exact price point in Australia, but our scooter is roughly a thousand dollars US. One six nine nine here. Okay, so there are lower price scooters that you could buy. Um, there is a damn good chance that scooter is not going to last for the long run with you. Um, and if you buy that scooter and you have a problem, what's the serviceability? Who who is there to help you? Uh, you know, we answer our phones 16 hours a day. Um, we treat our customer service like Patagonia. You know, we're obsessed with uh, service. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you got to buy a brand that's going to be there for you when there's an issue. Um, and so, you know, if you can't afford our scooter, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but really, go try to find an electric bike. Uh, close to the price point of our scooter. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's almost non-existent. And so I, I think our scooter is a bargain for the value it provides. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think you know, I think the thing that I would recommend, especially to those who are near JB Hi-Fi that has them physically that you can look at, is fold down any of the scooters and then fold down the Unagi. That alone will sell you on the quality, the craftsmanship, and, and, and the design. And then try to pick a lot of people, you know, variables that compete with each other, range, weight, torque, you know, you're, you're trying to do an artful balance of all of them and push material science and engineering to make less trade-offs. But yeah. unfortunately, a lot of people will see an ad, oh, this scooter's got 40 miles range. And they're like, I want that one. And then they buy it and they go, I can't lift this thing. This is not something I can carry around. You know, our scooters are so lightweight, you don't even have to lock them outside. You bring them with you into the cafe. You put it next to you. Yep. You bring it with you in the movie theater, wherever you go. Easy to carry up a two- to three-story walk-up. Easy to carry down into a subway platform. Um, 
And I feel bad for all the people who were duped thinking that range was the most important thing. The truth is almost nobody rides a scooter more than, uh, you know, three to five kilometers a day. And you really don't need that ridiculous range and you're going to pay for it in something that you can't carry. So, uh, you know, JB Hi-Fi, buy our scooter. They've got a great money back guarantee. Don't like it, bring it back. We, uh, we're so confident in our product. Like, uh, I mean, the, the number of people who are just massive fans is, is incredible. We've got Kendrick Lamar riding Unagi, Billie Eilish riding Unagi, uh, Iggy Pop rides in Unagi. You know, the list goes on and on. Hey, just quickly, where's the name come from? Um, you know, I, I, I want to be like Bob Dylan and tell a different story every time somebody asks me. Um, so, you know, there was a, uh, you ever see the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High? <laughs> but no, okay. Well, there was this like, stoner kind of moment in my house where we were sitting around and we were like, somebody was like, dude, what's electric? And somebody said, eels. And then someone said, unagi. Yes. And I think I said, yeah, but those aren't electric eels. Those are... And then someone said, Unagi, again. And it was like, yeah, Unagi. That's it. <laughs> we have ourselves a name. Also unique and easy to get the domain name for, so that's a win. Uh, David, uh, it's a great product. It looks slick. It goes, like, unbelievably well. And as you say, it's lightweight and portable, and it's pretty much everything you want. And it's uh, it's this conversation that sold me on that. I, I don't think I had it in my head enough to understand the full market, to really get the sense of why it sits in that space. Um, so you've sold me on that one and hopefully many more. And I think your your partnership with JB Hi-Fi is genius and it allows you to get a, a, a true mainstream appeal that doesn't look like you're just some little startup uh, trying to sell me something high price. So best of luck with the sales here in Australia through JB Hi-Fi um, and uh, best of luck with the future. I'm sure there'll be many different models and, uh, and more to come from Unagi in the years ahead. David, thanks for your time. Thank you. Take care. All right, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Lovely to have your company. Please get in touch, say good day. If you've got a question, send me an email. Go to the website, eftm.com. Click Ask Trev. Um, we're doing Two Blokes Talking Tech now every week with the private feed publicly available. So you'll get Two Blokes Talking Tech with myself and Stephen Fennick. Uh, this week it'll probably be Thursday night. You'll get it and you'll get the public private, uh, which is basically an off-air show recorded, so there's a bit of language in it and whatnot, um, with an explicit tag so you don't have to play it in the car if the kids are around. Um, you'll get that on probably a Monday night. And we'll see for a month or so how that goes, releasing both. If it impacts our downloads on the main show, well, that'll be bad. We'll we'll, we'll pull back, but we'll see. Um, and I appreciate your feedback on all that stuff as well. Um, always good to hear from you. Always great to chat in the man cave or on Twitter or Instagram, wherever it is. I don't always see the messages. Sometimes I miss them or whatever. I try, but I get a lot. But uh, most importantly, thanks for listening. Tell your friends, leave a rating and a review because that's what bumps us up the charts and lets other people know we exist. 
Always good to be here, and I'll be back again soon with the EFTM podcast. This is the EFTM podcast. EFTM.